Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. So good to be here, especially part of your Money Talk series, and to help you guys kind of process and think through and understand what is biblical stewardship? What's it all about? How do we make it all work in today's economy, today's environment? And I'm excited to be able to, sh- to share with you this morning some of this. Now, how many here have heard of the author Jules Verne? Put your hand up high. Wow. You know what? We need to educate the first service. Not many people had their hands up on that. So how many heard of Mysterious Island by Jules Verne? Ooh, look at that, wonderful. Well, let me, you can tell me afterwards how good my synopsis is, but let me share with you as we start off here, a synopsis of the book, Jules, of of Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. The book, Mysterious Island by Jules Verne, opens with a daring hot air balloon escape. And, and this is of five prisoners. Rather than making it to safety, the winds actually sent the prisoners out over the ocean. Things went from bad to worse when they realized that their balloon was losing altitude. They were drifting dangerously close to the waters below. They decided to dump a few of their possessions, like spare clothes, weapons, in an attempt to regain their altitude. Their plan actually worked at first, but eventually they started to drift lower and lower toward the water. Then they decide to throw their food supplies overboard, and they figure it is better to be in the air hungry than to be drowned in an ocean with a full belly. Again, the the balloon lifted, but only for a short period of time. They could see off in the distance dry land, but it was unlikely that they were going to be able to make it there at the rate that they were going. And this is when the men decided to do the unthinkable, to get rid of one of the most essential things that they had the basket in which they were standing in. The men tied themselves to the balloon, and then they cut loose the basket. As it fell to the ocean below, they had just enough height to make it safely to Mysterious Island. This story that I start off with illustrates the importance of priorities. What we think is essential may actually be something that is holding us back, So I want us to turn our attention to the book of Haggai this morning, and if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Haggai chapter 1, and if you have your digital Bible, that's easier. So if you have a print Bible, you may have to go to the uh, table of contents, because I'm probably not the uh, place where you had devotions this morning, I guess. So, but Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to be camping out in the beginning part of this message. If you remember nothing more from our time this morning... From our time tonight, which I encourage you to come back and join us tonight, with our time tomorrow night and Tuesday night, I want you to remember this one very important thing, and that is this. If we can click through here. Guys, if you can help me up there, there we go. Because God cares about our priorities, our personal financial stewardship should reflect God's priorities. This statement will help you and I apply everything that we're going to be talking about over these next few days. 
So we're going to jump right in to Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in our first of three sections here, and we're going to see the misplaced priorities exposed. Let me read that and follow along if you have your text there. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So we see here in this first six verses that Israel was given a task to rebuild the temple of God. In 539 BC, Cyrus the Great captured Babylon and, was, and told Israel to go back to their land. And we read in Ezra chapter 1 that Cyrus wrote an edict instructing Israel to rebuild the temple of God. Really, it was God through Ezra to do this. So we see here that the nation then started to lose focus. The resettled nation started out well. They got the, the, the temple floor completed, but then it stopped there. The people of Israel are just like many of us today. We start in the middle of a project, and we work and work, and then all of a sudden, that project over there grabs our attention, and we jump on over, we work on that project, and then we see another project over there. Is anybody else like me that leaves that first project untouched? Don't go shaking your head and don't nudge the person next to you. The people of Israel are just like you and I today, and the thing that started collecting dust was the temple floor. The project that the nation of Israel that they focused on was their own houses. They started building these houses, and according to verse 4, we see that these houses were not just regular houses. They were paneled or sealed houses. What does that mean? It means that they were nice. They were very, very nice. I like to say it this way, Lowe's and Home Depot were doing very, very well during those days. So what was their excuse? If we look at the text, we can see that Israel's underlying thinking, well, well, God, the timing just isn't right. How can we say this? Look at verse 6 there. We see crop failure. We see hunger. We see drought. We see sickness. We see disease and financial distress. Israel had excuses. They had a lot of excuses, and they were very, very good excuses because they were things that were happening to them. Yet with these excuses flowing, it's important to note that they had the time, they had the energy, and they had the resources to be able to fix up their own homes. So what was the reality of their situation there? So their priorities, they were not God's priorities. Clearly, they put themselves before God. Now, money is that great barometer for what we love and value most. How money is spent reveals the ultimate priorities of the human heart. So a good key takeaway on these six verses is this, is our activities and our use of money expose our true priorities. But let's continue on and let's look at verses 7 through 11 and see the cost of misplaced priorities and follow along as I read the text. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all of their labors. So what was the real cause of Israel's struggles? God wanted to get their attention. So what was God's plan to get their attention? According to the text we just read in verses 9 through 11, we see that they had scarcity, they had loss, they had drought, they had weak harvest, and they had frustration. Israel had problems. They had very real problems here, which were a direct result of their misplaced priorities. And they were complaining to God. They were telling God all that was happening, and they were saying that they didn't have the time, the money, and the resources to rebuild the temple. And God steps in through Haggai the prophet, and I'm paraphrasing here, and he says, I know your problems, I hear what you're saying, I understand what you're saying, and I am the cause of your problems. It's me doing this. Does that experience in Haggai's day seem like many of our experience today? where we save and save and save for that rainy day and it rains every single Tuesday? Has it been that way? We just can't make enough to get ourselves ahead, especially in today's economy. It's important to take note that at this point, while God caused these complications and problems, not every financial struggle that you and I go through is a result of misplaced priorities. In our text here, we read twice in verse 5, And also in verse 7, we read twice this, consider your ways. And with only one verse in between, do you think God's trying to get our attention on this? I sure think so. And what is he trying to say? He says, take time to pause, to reflect on what God is saying in the difficulty situation that you are in. And he wants something better for you than continuing to live with the consequences of misplaced priorities. So a good key takeaway here is this, is sometimes difficult circumstances are God's way of getting our attention. So first and foremost, we saw that Israel's misplaced priorities were exposed. We just saw that there is a cost for misplaced priorities. Now let's take a look at the third section, and we're going to see here that there is hope for those with misplaced priorities. Let me read to you and follow along verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Is there hope for Israel? Is there hope for you and me? Absolutely yes. We see it in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much of our unrighteousness? You know it well, all of our unrighteousness. So we see that that was true. And when Israel repents, 
God responds with, I am with you. Please hear this loud and clear. That is the game changer. God stepping through time and space saying, I am with you. That promise to be with you was all what the nation of Israel needed to hear. And their response was uh, to the promise of joyful, energetic obedience. And the result in the end was that the temple itself was rebuilt. You know, you and I are not to wait until life's circumstances are convenient to follow God's will. You and I need to obey the Lord in faith that He will enable us to do that which He calls us to do. Remember, He promises to be with you. That's something you need to take with you wherever you go. So our key takeaway here in this section is this, that God will enable you to do that which He calls you to do, including the task of biblical stewardship. Can we all agree that failure to follow God's priorities in life can be very costly. Can we agree on that, church? Right? So let's now take a shift. I want to look at two things as we look at the rest of our time together. The two things, first, I want to look at the five timeless truths found in the Word of God. And we're going to touch on that quickly. But we're going to look also at the paralleled priorities and application points for us today. When we call... We call these application points the biblical sequential priorities. What does that mean? First and foremost, we have that word biblical. It means that the Bible is a basis upon which these principles have been developed. And we say sequential because there is an order of these principles that need to be considered and applied. Principle number two does not come before principle number one. And principle number four does not begin until three, two, and one have been completed. So it's very important in that way. And then priorities, each of these principles are important because they reflect a part of the character and the heart of God. We should seek to implement all five of these within our lives. The biblical sequential priorities and their application points flow out of these five upcoming timeless truths, where they will help you provide a structure for your finances. They will help you in your decision-making and making it very sequential, and then it'll give you principal guidelines on handling 100% of your money and your assets. And choosing to follow these priorities in your life in the sequential order that we're going to be laying them out, it can revolutionize your personal stewardship and align your priorities to what is seen in the Word of God. So if you have a workbook, which hopefully you did, we have these workbooks out in the back there and in the foyer. If you did not get one, please make sure you grab one at the end of our time together out at the table there. But if you have one, turn to page 10. We're going to be there, and I'm going to touch on these five timeless truths that are here. And the first timeless truth is this, and that is that God is our highest priority. There we go. There. God is our highest priority. I believe we can all agree with that. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Good. Nice and loud. Okay, remember, I think I shared this before. I, I used to race cars, I played the drums, and I ride a motorcycle. You know what that means? I can't hear well. That's what my wife tells me. So, I, so when I need some participation, I need you to be loud there. So God is our highest priority. Amen, church? Amen. And I believe that we can all agree with this. Why? Number one. 1 John 4, 9, he loves us. We love because he what? 
He first loved us. And He died for us. We see that in Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, what does it say? You know it well, church. I'm impressed. And then the second thing is this, is that family is our second priority. We see in Genesis 2 that God created the family. And also in Deuteronomy 6 that the home is where we ought to help our children learn the ways of the Lord. And then in 1 John 3, 1, we see that we have been called the children of God. We have been adopted into His family. Timeless truth number three is this, our lifestyle or our testimony should bring glory to God. It says in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then also in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And the last time I checked in the Greek, that word all, what do you think it means? You know it well. It means all, everything it means. Timeless truth number four is this, the needs of others should not be ignored. Proverbs 21, 13 tells us that whoever closes his ears to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And then also in 1 John 3, 17, it says that we, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? So we need to look for the needs of others and be a blessing in that way. Timeless truth number five is this, and that is all blessings flow from God. We're not talking or advocating the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, but what we're talking about is what the Word of God says about money, finances, and stewardship. And we also see this laid out in Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1, 1 through 4. And God's blessings come in two different ways. It comes in spiritual blessings as found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and material blessings as found in Proverbs 21.5. Now with that good snapshot of this, looking at these five timeless truths, how do we go about and applying these timeless truths to our lives? using the biblical sequential priority framework that I mentioned earlier. The first one that's there. Now, I need some help with this, and this is what some good participation. Put your hand in the air, right hand high in the air. I need, I need a lot of participation here. It keeps you awake with me. And then from there, put your thumb straight up and say, give. give. Nice and loud. One more time. Give. Okay, you can put your hand down. Give. Proverbs, it says here that giving to the Lord is our first priority and privilege. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. You know, it is a privilege for you and I to give unto the Lord of our substance, of our earnings, right off the top. And some good principles for giving are this, that God is the model for our giving. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, and he gave us what we needed the most, and you know it right here, church, right? What did he give us? He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ, what we needed the most. And our giving, it should be modeled, it should be focused on the the local church, on the general fund of the local, local church. God speaks to Israel in Malachi 3, verse 10, about giving to the temple, Our parallel today is that we ought to give directly to our local church where we are being built up, where where we are being fed, where we are being shepherded 
in the ways of the Lord. So some thought-provoking quotes pertaining to giving are these, and they're by Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, which is a great read. I encourage you to get a copy and read it. But this one says, tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's the starting blocks. And he continues to say this, that tithes, tithes can launch us, oh, back one, there we go. Tithes can launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. And that you and I ought to also give with an investment mentality. You know the verse all well, very well, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. You know, when we give to a church that has passion for people coming to know the Lord, and I know this church does because there's a lot of lights lit up on this little Jesus sign. I know what you guys are doing with that. I wish I could go over there and turn one for you. But when you give to a church like that, you're, you are laying up treasures in heaven. Did you know that, church? That's very important. Have you ever thought about your giving as an investment like that? A good key takeaway here is to consider the Haggai principle and that many people can't afford to give precisely because they are not giving. And also we see here that God enables us to do that which he calls us to do. So hands in the air, join me again. I need your hand. You're going to do this often here. Hands in the air. What's our first one? It's what? Second one is this? Save. Put that second finger out so that's how it is. Give one, two is what? Very good. You'll get this by the time we're done here today. Save, because family is our second priority, we should build savings to protect our family. Here are some reasons to save. First of all, we need to prepare for the unexpected. Since we live in a world that has been impacted by the fall of mankind into sin, we should anticipate that things are going to break down, that things are going to wear out. Because you understand and know that your battery is only going to die and your tires are only going to blow out when you have the needed money, right? Oh, it doesn't work that way here either? I understand that. And the second reason why we need to give is those of us who are married, it will build a stronger marriage. Many marriage problems result from financial mismanagement and consumer debt. And I can speak directly to that in almost 30 years as a pastor of the amount of counseling I have done through the years because couples are mismanaging what God has put into their care. TD Ameritrade in 2018 did a report, or actually a study, and reported that 41% of Gen Xers, 29% of boomers ended their marriage due to disagreements about money. Third, a savings will actually help us stay out of debt. If you don't earn interest, you're going to pay interest. Without money in a savings account earning interest, you will likely incur debt and have to pay interest. And I don't know about you, but if I have a choice between either making money with my money or giving money away from borrowed money, I'm all about making the money. Amen, church? That's the smart and wise and good steward thing to do. So we just look at three key reasons to save. Now let's look at some of the key principles of saving. We are first of all called to be proactive. We see in Proverbs 22.3 and Proverbs 27.12, five, five chapters apart, the exact same verse. It says this, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Financially, we need to look ahead and anticipate future problems, future complications, 
and proactively prepare for them. What should we prepare for? Property tax bills, college, weddings, replacing cars, retirement, vacations, and even spending on Christmas. But second, we are also called to be providers. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul writes about providing for our families. Now, some think the provision is just get the check direct deposited in or put the check on the table and now we're going to make it work. But Paul's concept here in the original language is a continual provision, not just today, but also in the future. He's saying, take care of what you have, what you need today, but carve out some for those later years. Third, we see here that we need to, that reserves are, or savings is a sign of wisdom, not wealth. Proverbs 21.20, we read that reserves are found in the house of the wise. Isn't it interesting? It says that reserves are in the house of the wise, not the house of the rich. You would think it would be, say, in the rich, but the wise person is the one that has reserves. So to put it in a very simple way is this, that the wise person has reserves, but the fool chooses to live paycheck to paycheck. So here's a good key takeaway that's there. Savings must become a conviction, not a convenience. And we also, it cannot be, I'll save if there's extra. Hands in the air with me again, nice and high. I need to see a lot of hands here. First one is what? Two, three, spend. Give, save, spend. So spend. Because our choices matter, we need to be timely and honorable with our creditors. Let's take a look at some principles of spending. First and foremost, we need to recognize the difference between needs and wants. This spend section of a budget, which I hope you have one, if not, I would be more than honored to spend some time and help you build one while we're here today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. But this spend section only contains necessity spending, such as housing, groceries, utilities, and debt repayment. Now, we all know that cable TV and streaming services are necessary spending, right? I'm glad you're laughing. And we also need to evaluate spending and recategorize luxuries. What are some luxuries? Starbucks, fast food, unconstrained grocery budget, and that would include the cable cable TV and the streaming services. So where does overspending happen a lot? Walmart. Target, Amazon, and and you know that at Walmart and Target, they put the most needed things in life right there at the register. You know that. Those Reese's peanut butter cups, you you get that, right? So those are the most needed things in life. The question that I have for you is, where is your overspending weakness? It's estimated that those who carry credit card debt month to month have an average outstanding balance of approximately $10,000. You and I are called to do how much for the glory of God? I said it earlier, all for the glory of God. Now, don't answer this out loud, but is going into consumer debt bring glory to God? Some of the biggest idols of the American Christian include money and possessions. What we spend our money on reflects what we love and what we value most. And according to Scripture also, we are to pay our debts. We see this in Romans 13, 7. It says, pay to all what is owed. 
Psalm 37, 21, it says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be counted in one as labeled wicked. If I borrow, I will pay back. A good key takeaway here is this. Living on less than you earn is a sign of wisdom. Hands in the air, join me again. First and foremost, what is it? Give. Two. Save. Three. Spend. Fourth. Offerings. Offerings. So we have offerings here and we need to be mindful and generous towards the, towards the needs of others. Before we spend on our own wants, we need to look for the needs of others. Randy Alcorn says it well in The Treasure Principle. He has this great quote and he says that God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Oh, I like that. And he also continues to say that, that our giving is above and beyond that that we give to the local church. How do we do this? How do we put this principle to play in order in our, in our budget? And that involves setting aside either a monthly or a yearly predetermined amount of money that we are going to use to give away to help bless the needs of others. Some examples can be supporting missionaries. I know you guys are in, involved in a great church renovation plan. I saw the construction pictures as you did and the work that's being done around here. That doesn't happen for free, church. That's God's people raising up and being generous above and beyond what they give on a regular weekly basis. Also, other nonprofit organizations and ministries as well as, well as helping your, your neighbor who's in need. What does the Bible say about looking for the needs of others? This is what it says. It says we are to remember the poor, that we should not be stingy towards those in need. We please God when we help and encourage others, and we are rewarded by God for our generosity toward poor, the poor and the needy. A good key takeaway here in this section is who could you be a blessing to? Are there individuals, missions efforts, or ministry works, or maybe additional monies that you could flow into the, the work that's happening in the renovations here at the church that you could be a blessing to? Hands in the air again. Join me again. First one is what? Give. Two. Save. Three. Spend. Four. Offerings. Five. Luxuries. Five is luxuries. Is it right for us to enjoy God's abundance Absolutely, without a doubt, yes. 1 Timothy 6.17, the second part of that verse, says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So what's a luxury? A, lux a luxury is something that is needed. It, You've got to understand that difference between a need and a want. Remember that Jules Verne story in the beginning? All the men really needed was the balloon to get to safety. They did not need that basket. Luxuries are good and right to have and to enjoy. A luxury is anything that is non-essential for life. Some examples of luxuries can include eating out, impulse purchasing, eating out, designer clothes, eating out, shoes, eating out, various TV subscriptions, eating out, sports, eating out, entertainment tickets, eating out, fancy vacations, eating out, pets, eating out, fancy convertible. Did I say eating out? There's nothing wrong with living in a nice house, there's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice meal out. Provided that we are living within the five biblical sequential priority framework. So if you're not giving to your church, you can't afford TV subscriptions. 
If you're not saving to protect your family, you can't afford to eat out. If you're not paying your bills on time, you should totally rethink those season tickets. And if you're not generous to others, you should rethink that expensive, fancy vacation that you want to go on. We also need to beware of the dangers. Oh, jump there. Beware of the danger of materialism we see here. It says here in Luke 12, 15, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And also in Romans 1, 25, we are not to love the gift more than the giver of the gift. Wealth and possessions can destroy your desire for God and also your ability to serve others. We must seek our value and meaning of life, not in our possessions, but in our living God. A good key takeaway in this section here is this, is that God has richly provided us with everything to enjoy. I covered a lot of material quickly. The question here is before us, what does biblical stewardship look like for you? What does it look like? Again, hands in the air need you to join me, and I don't want you to drop your hand. Get it up in the air and just keep it up and don't drop it till I tell you to. First one is what? Give. Two, save. Three, spend. Four, offerings. Five, luxuries. I'm going to give you a cheat sheet so you can do it nice and loud here. First one is what? Give. Two, save. Three, spend. Four, offerings. Five. One more time, nice and loud. Give. And watch up here, and this is how many of us choose to live. You deserve a break today. You know that commercial from years ago from McDonald's. We, it's about me, myself, and I. I got to take care of myself. And then also, what happened over this weekend? Buffalo, New York, five feet of snow. American Red Cross needs some money. We're going to have to send a donation on over to them. And then from there, we got to pay our bills, get that done. Maybe we'll have a couple bucks left over for savings and maybe giving to the church. Do you think maybe we can get some giving going to the church? But as you see here, this is how the world lives. But the important thing is, is what we see here is Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we get ourselves in line with what the Word of God has to say, we will not be living upside down like the rest of the world, as you see here on this. So the question that is before you is, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself living in the same framework that the world lives in? Or do you see yourself living as a biblical steward? Now, you may not have it all in that tight order, but you may have those pieces and maybe there needs to be some recategorization, some reordering of things. And that's why we're here. We're here to help you put those pieces together. Maybe you realize that you have fallen short on this thing called biblical stewardship and being wise with, remember, it's not your money, right, church? Whose is it? It's the Lord's money. You just have that joy of stewarding it for this short time we called life. And how are you doing with that? Can you do better? Of course you can. But maybe you realize that I'm not doing well or I have things a little out of whack. That's a good clinical term. So how do I make this thing all work? So with that in mind, Remember that God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He's willing to forgive us of that if we come before him and say, God, forgive me. I have not been a good and faithful steward. I want to encourage you. 
Myself and my team here, we are here for the next few days. We're here all day today until late tonight. We're here tomorrow and Tuesday. And after that, if, the, if those time frames don't work, we can connect at a later time. We can do things virtually. But we're here to help you take that next step in biblical stewardship. Wherever you are, whether you're upside down, you're swimming in debt and you're saying, how do I figure this thing out? Or maybe you're at the point and you're saying, I'm doing okay, but I don't have this budget thing taken care of. I need a little help. That's why you're here. Because I can sit down and I can talk with you and I can help you with that because that's my specialty. I brought other team members with me. And maybe you may be sitting here and you're saying, I'm doing okay. Things are good. I'm not worrying about it. But the question I put before you is, can you do better? What can you do to actually become an even better steward? of what God has put into your care. Because we will all give an account one day on how we stewarded what God has put into our care. And we have made a promise to your pastors, we are here to serve, we are not here to sell you. That is our, our promise to you. We do this nationwide, we cover a lot of ground. This is my last, last seminar until next year. Yay, get a little bit of a break. But I'm so glad to be here because we're gonna help you guys Take that next step in biblical stewardship. Become an even better steward of all that God has put into your care. We have a table out there. We have some sign-up sheets out there. Sign up for one of those times. If you look at those times and it doesn't fit your schedule, talk to one of my team members out there or myself, and we will help you put together a plan that will, help, that will get connected to help you become an even better steward of all that God has put into your care. The joy we get out of it as a team is know that, knowing that we are helping to build the kingdom. Because if we can help you become a better steward, you're going to pour more of what God has given you into this ministry. And as you pour more into this ministry, more light bulbs are going to be turned over here. Amen, church? Amen. And that's what it's all about. So if we can help you, please fill our schedule out there. We're here to serve. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for all that you provide for us. Thank you so much for each and every person that's here and how you have just lovingly taken care of each one here. But Lord, as we look at this, as we go through all these details, Lord, there's some that just need to take that next step. God, would you prompt them, whatever that may be, to move in that direction. For those that are doing well, God, thank you for that and continue to have them do well. But Lord, help them even to become an, an even better steward. It's about your kingdom, Lord. It's about the people that represent all those light bulbs in that sign. It's about people coming to know you and grow in you as these days are getting darker. God, would you move in your people here and move in this church to the point where your name will be lifted up and glorified in a way that it has not been yet. And I ask that you would do this in the glorious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, 
Thanks for